Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend, co-host, Scott Hemingway. What's Papa Lockin? What? That's a new one. Yeah. I don't even think it's an actual expression. You just made it up. Yeah. So creative. Because I'm hip. You're hip. Yeah, I'm hip, bro. We're not square. No way. There's a, yeah, have you seen us? We are like the least square guys. Unsquared. <laughs> We are D-squared. <laughs> That's going to be our rap group. D-squared? Yeah, D-squared. Yeah, fantastic. I think we should just end there. Yep, that was a great show. I enjoyed one of my favorite. Awesome. Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish, as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians interested in crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and in the Nanaimo bar, it's time to scarf down some dark poutine. The 808. This is episode 36. That's a lot of episodes. 36 to be specific. 36 of them. Yeah, which is numerically that comes after 35. It is. Yeah. Every time. Yep. Math. I got it. It's amazing. I got it. Uh, We want to start out by thanking our regular subscribers and welcome our new listeners. Hello and welcome. Love y'all. Salut. A. Wee wee. (laughs) Don't wee wee. Especially woo woo. Okay, woo woo is fine, right. but don't wee wee because I'll have to clean it up after you leave. Yeah, sounds like a mic problem. <laughs> it definitely is. Mm. We appreciate that you're filling your ears with our dark poutine and our witty or banter. Let's just call it banter. We won't call it witty. <laughs> our noises. We, our, yeah, our, our mutual noises. Exactly. I am trying to make a point not to step on Scott when he's talking about stuff stuff on me like talk over you talk it 
I'm trying to talk right now. I'm saying things, and you're not talking over me. This is, I'm not, uh, I'm just going to keep talking then. I'm going to see how long I can go. Oh, God. Just, ah, you talked over me. <laughs> Jerk. But this is the thing. I think this is how I keep the show going. <laughs> I have no concerns. Because you would keep going. My, that's the thing, is Mike and I know each other incredibly well for many, many years. I'm famous, especially in our old job where the job was talking. I'm famous for not being concise. I'm aware of this. I'm a rambler by nature yes. and I can go on for days. And so Mike is aware of this. And so sometimes I need a nudge to shut up. Yes. And I ask people to let me know this. I ask people to, uh, if need be, shut me up because yeah. I, I will go for, for a long time if not. So it's, it's getting to that point now. Right, well, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. So what that means <laughs> is I will talk forever and I'll repeat myself. Yes. Over and over while, again. While talking forever. Cause it's what I do back in our old job. I was no. <laughs> Fuck. See? Yeah. We have been talking about this particular topic for quite some time, and we, we were excited to cover it. Many people have covered this case, and I thought perhaps we wouldn't have anything to add to the story. But as our podcast has grown, my idea of doing topics that other people have covered is starting to change. I'm feeling more comfortable with that, as I feel more comfortable with the way dark poutine does things. Yeah. We'll always give it a different flavor. That's exactly it. Is so I don't think we approach all topics uh, the way everybody else has. No. Because it's you and me, and we have our own That's way right. of doing things. So I think the reason I avoided it at first was lack of confidence, frankly, but... And, and rightly so. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> People have asked for our take on this particular case. We bring our own flavor to every story, and this is one that happened to someone local, so we kind of had to do it. Yep. Yeah. This episode is about the tragic death of Elisa Lam of Canadian Chinese heritage. She was on vacation in Los Angeles when she disappeared on January 31st, 2013. Yep. After a search that was fruitless, on the morning of February 19th, almost 20 days later, Elisa's decomposing body was found in one of four 1,000-gallon water tanks on the roof of the infamous hotel she was staying at. Yeah, this is a case I think that almost every listener will be familiar with already because it, it captured the media. Absolutely. It, it captured the media when she was missing yep. as well. Yep. While a lot of focus has been on the, I'm going to put quotes around this, mystery of Elisa's death, we're hoping to bring some deeper insight into Elisa Lam as a person rather than simply a mystery to be solved. Yeah, and I like that idea. Hopefully, in approaching the case in this way, We'll leave you with a better understanding of the human being this tragedy happened to. Yep. I, I think that's the right way to cover this. Absolutely. Because people have done all the other stuff. Yeah, and, but, there's, but there's a specific approach most of those take, if not all that I've seen or heard. Yeah. And we're, we're not going to go there. Good. I don't think there's as much mystery at all in what happened to Elisa Lam. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this is something that I've, I've spent a lot of time watching and reading on my own. And so I totally agree with you. I don't think it's a mystery. Yeah, we'll get into that later. Elisa was the daughter of immigrants from Hong Kong. She was known as Lisa to close friends. She was born on April 30th, 1991. Out of respect, we'll use her full first name, Elisa, 
as we don't presume to be her friends. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, we want to be respectful. Oh, absolutely. Elisa's parents, David and Yina, run Paul's Restaurant, and they serve westernized Chinese food at 4621 East Hastings Street in Burnaby. Hmm. And that's two kilometers away from where Carol and I lived six years ago at the time of Elisa Lamb's disappearance. Oh, interesting. Had you ever eaten there? Uh, no, we hadn't eaten there, but I know exactly where it is, and we had driven by it. Elisa and her sister were really close growing up, and Elisa had lots of friends. Uh, many people who were close to Elisa said she was kind, considerate, compassionate, creative, and sensitive. Oh, I like that. Although outgoing and loving a good laugh, as with many creatives, she would sometimes retreat within herself and suffer dark, depressive episodes where she would spend days alone. Yeah, I think a lot of us creatives can relate. Absolutely. She often found solace with her little white dog at her side. As well, Elisa found an outlet for her creativity through the internet, in particular blogging, first at Blogspot and then on Tumblr. Hmm. According to some sources, like Elisa's own Instagram page, she read and reread The Great Gatsby hmm. and collected various printings of the book in English and other languages. I saw her post an edition that she'd purchased in French as well. Yeah, I'm familiar with The Great Gatsby in title, I, but uh, personally, I, I never read it because I thought it was too wordy. Well, I, I had to read it in high school. <laughs> yeah. No. And afterward, I came to appreciate the book more. It's interesting that Gatsby was her literary obsession. Oh, yeah? In the book, Jay Gatsby is a hopeful man who represented what others couldn't have. No one truly loved him for himself only what he possessed and what he could do for them as they clamored for their chance at living the, quote, American dream. Hmm. As well, Gatsby was a nouveau riche, and he was looked down on by the established old money and then resented by the working class. So he was kind of uh, not welcomed anywhere, he felt. No, he couldn't win. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, he didn't, dying in his own opulent swimming pool after being shot by oh. a jealous husband. Okay, so this isn't a... Uh story of um, overcoming obstacles and having a wonderful life. No, it's quite sad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's clear from her social media accounts and blogs that Elisa loved to travel. Video games like Portal 2, she really liked. Oh, awesome. Art and fashion, and she seemed to be into the French culture. She named both her blogs French names, like Nouvelle Nouveau was the name of her Tumblr blog, for mm. example. Sounds like somebody that I'd actually like get along with. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Elisa blogged a few times about her boyfriend early on in 2010, 2011, about two years before her death. And then she seemed to be single after that. Mm. Amid the lighter fare on all these accounts, we get some really brief glimpses into her darker leanings. Mm. On May 8th, 2012, she retweeted the Paris Review, Maurice Sendak, author and illustrator, had passed away. He wrote and illustrated Where the Wild Things Are. Great book. Yeah. The tweet included a quote attributed to the late writer. It went, I'm not afraid of annihilation. I'm not afraid of death. I just want to know more before I go. Mm. Both her Tumblr and Blogspot blogs have the same ominous epigraph, and that's an introductory note. Mm. It's by Chuck Palahniuk, the author of Fight Club and Choke. Okay. And it reads, you're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. Hmm. Pretty powerful. 
that is personally one of my greatest fears, and that's what drives me to be more prolific in my creativity, among other things, yeah. like doing this podcast, for example. Yeah, yeah. There are some true standout posts about depression throughout all of Elisa's profiles. She left us at least a sneak peek into her world. She beat up on herself a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. Uh, it was apparent that she felt she did not measure up academically or she felt maybe not as pretty as the other girls, those mm -hmm. kind of things. Mm -hmm. It's abundantly clear that she was struggling with inner demons. Uh, poor girl. From a blogspot post on November 21st, 2011, depression sucks. I have no control over my emotions. I will be angry for two minutes and then sad again. I will be happy for half an hour and then emotional again. So far, all I've done is lay in my bed and watch episodes of Chopped. I'm just waiting for it to pass. Wow. I can relate with her more than I feel comfortable with. <laughs> I know. And that's, that's kind of why I wanted to do this episode with you, for sure, because I know you've just recently been through some stuff. Yeah, you know, stuff. Stuff. At some point while attending UBC, Elisa began to seek medical help for her depression. So she's going to University of British Columbia. Mm -hmm. They have one of the best medical facilities in the province there. Uh, it's a university hospital. Yeah, it's a great university as well. Yeah, it's a learning hospital yeah. also. So you're, you're getting the best of best care. Yeah. Elisa began seeing Dr. Sarah E. Scarf, a psychiatry specialist at Student Health Services Psychiatry at UBC. Dr. Scarf runs the Scarf Free Counseling Clinic at UBC. She determined that Elisa Lamb was bipolar and began treating her with medication to manage her mood swings and serious depressive episodes. Mm -hmm. In another blog post simply titled, On Happiness, Elisa quoted Ernest Hemingway, Happiness in intelligent people is the rarest thing I know. Mm, wow. As most of you know, Hemingway's end was not a nice one. I, I know, because he was my uncle. No, he wasn't. No, I know different spellings. And he probably would have been your grandfather, if anything. Don't tell me how to be my family. <sighs> in the post, Elisa goes on to say that she would edit this post as her brain function improved, so it was clear that she was getting lots of help then. Mm -hmm. In March of 2012, Elisa mentioned she got a part-time job, so she must have been feeling a bit better. Oh, good. But the darkness was still there. Yeah. She said, and if I weren't so lazy, I would go learn how to do something, like coding or whatnot. I'm falling into a pattern of going on Tumblr. It's not giving me any joy, actually. It's just something to do, idling by. Yeah, that's such a powerful statement in regards to depression because we do typically lie about and we get upset at ourselves for being lazy when in reality, one of the biggest things with depression is lack of motivation. Yeah. It's not, it's not laziness. It's not like we're just like, uh, I just, all I want to do is lie on a couch and, and eat potato chips. Although that's great, but the motivation is gone. On April 27, 2012, before going quiet for three months, she said in a post titled, Worries of a 20-something, I spent about two days in bed hating myself. Mm -hmm. Her preferred blogging platform, as with many of that time, moved from Blogspot to Tumblr, because Tumblr was a little simpler and quicker to... Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. She was pulled into social media and even mentioned needing a break from places like Facebook, saying that might help. 
In early January 2013, one post indicated she'd found a boyfriend again. It's scary to find someone that makes you happy. You start giving them all of your attention because they're what makes you forget everything bad that's going on in your life. They're the first person you want to talk to in the morning and the last one before you sleep, just so you can start and end your day with a smile. It all sounds great to have that someone, but it's scary to think about how easily they could just leave and take all that happiness away too when hmm. they go. So it sounded like she was externalizing her yeah. emotions quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Which also, yep, you know, we both we get been through that. In the middle of January, Elisa was continuing to plan her trip south along the West Coast. She'd been to Ottawa previously and wanted to see California. She writes, planning, planning, planning for the West Coast tour. Sigh. Turns out I won't be making as many stops as I'd like. Vancouver, San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and San Francisco. I really want to stop at San Luis Obispo, but alas, we'll see. Suggestions and meetups still highly appreciated. Elisa and her boyfriend of only a few weeks broke up on January 18th, 2013. Oh, shit. She wrote, He said nothing. I was rejected. I'm going to be okay. It wasn't going to work. He's worked out some things, but he's handling it in a different way. We're just different people, but I thought for a few moments that we weren't. It was just me. I want to go home, but I'm out, and I have to act like it didn't affect me at all. Hmm. Getting dumped sucks. It really does. Yep, it does. She's alone, and four days later, she's getting onto a plane on January 22nd, 2013, and heading for her California trip. Mm-hmm. She had been planning to go alone anyway, but I guess this made it feel a little more lonely. Oh, I can understand that, yeah. She traveled about Southern California for a few days by bus and train, even visiting the world-famous San Diego Zoo. Hmm. Elisa was having fun hanging by herself and doing the things that a shy but adventurous 21-year-old would do. I think a, a, a long trip after a hard breakup is actually a relatively healthy it's, thing because you're not just sitting in and moping. So it's, you know, it sounds, sounds like a good plan she had. Agreed. There's no evidence that Elisa met any sinister people on her travels. None. She stayed in touch with friends and family as she was traveling and showed no signs of worry that someone was after her or anything at all was wrong. Mm -hmm. Elisa was enjoying herself. If her recent breakup was on her mind, she was not showing it. Good. Elisa arrived in L.A. on January 26, 2013. She checked into the Cecil Hotel, a place with a bit of a nasty rep, and that's mostly due to its proximity to Skid Row. Yeah, we, we have a Cecil Hotel in Vancouver, but that's a very different... Uh, that was a strip club. Yeah, with a hotel above it. Yeah. There have been many suicides at the Cecil in L.A., Two serial killers even stayed there. Yep. Richard Ramirez, LA's Night Stalker in 1985, and Australian serial killer Jack Unterwerger was there in 1991, and he killed models. Oh, okay. The Cecil is also rumored to be one of the last places where Black Dahlia victim Elizabeth Short was seen prior to her gruesome and still unsolved murder in 1947. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty seedy place. That's low-cost accommodation attracts many traveling students like Elisa Lam. Yep, makes sense. I'm not going to lie. I would actually stay in that 90-year-old hotel. Yeah. I, th I think it, it's a pretty cool place, and, and the fact that it has so many stories. Oh, I, I would be attracted to go in there as well. Yeah, just to say, yeah, I stayed there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Elisa explored Los Angeles for the next five days. Just around the corner from the hotel was a bookstore called The Last Bookstore, ironically. Jeez, yeah. The manager there said she saw Elisa when she was buying books for herself, records, and presents for her family. The manager recalled that Elisa was struggling to carry all she'd bought. She remembered Elisa as friendly and chatty. Yeah, I bet. And that was on January 31st, 2013, the day before she was supposed to check out of the Cecil and head to Santa Cruz. Mm. That was the day she disappeared. Mm. What are presumed to be some of Elisa Lam's last moments are captured in a security video from elevators in the Cecil. We'll chat about it right after this. Somewhere either in the evening of January 31st or the morning of February 1st, Elisa Lamb disappeared. <sighs> she was supposed to check out on the 1st, and she didn't. No one saw her that day. Her room stood ominously empty. All her personal belongings were still there, including the medication she was supposed to take every day. Mm. L.A. police were called in. They searched the easily accessible parts of the hotel, including employee-only areas, like the basement and the roof, even using dogs. And they couldn't search every room because they would need a search warrant for that. Yeah, yeah. But there was no sign of Elisa. Her family was called. They had not heard from Elisa since January 31st. They got plane tickets and came from Vancouver to help look for her. Mm -hmm. On February 6th, L.A. police released a community bulletin distributing it throughout the downtown L.A. neighborhood. It had two photos of Elisa, as well as identifying information and a summary of her disappearance. And it reads, name, Elisa Lam, description, female, Chinese, in brackets, Canadian, black hair, brown eyes, 5'4", 115 pounds, date of birth, April 30th, 91. And the summary, Elisa Lam was last seen on January 31st, 2013 at the Cecil Hotel at 640 South Main Street in downtown Los Angeles. Lam was traveling alone from Vancouver, Canada and arrived in Los Angeles, California on January 26, 2013. Her final destination, Santa Cruz, California. She takes public transportation, including Amtrak and buses. And her language spoken English, fluent, Cantonese, maybe not so fluent. Mm -hmm. Additional possibly suffers from mild depression. Anyone with information concerning this case is asked to contact detectives at the Homicide Special Section Robbery Homicide Division. Mm. I think that's just how they deal with missing persons. I don't think homicide detectives yeah, it, indicate. Because that stands out when it's like, yeah, this person's missing, contact homicide. But she's missing without her medication. Yeah. Right away. So they're probably going to think maybe she didn't wander off on her own. Well, and different states and different cities have different protocols for where specific uh, cases go. Yeah. And it might just be the protocol they have there is to any missing person goes directly to sure. homicide. So there still were no leads and no sign of Elisa. No one had seen her since the night she disappeared. On February 14th, Valentine's Day, the cops released that now infamous video of Elisa playing in the elevator at the Cecil Hotel on mm -hmm. the night she disappeared. Yep, the, the video. Yeah, this video has been analyzed to death, and it's been picked apart. Yep. You can see it in our show notes. I'm going to leave a, a link to it there. And I just wrote a bit of a breakdown from what I see in the video. It's really crappy quality. It's pixelated. looks like it was recorded with a potato. Yeah, but a, but a 2012 potato. A 2012 potato. Yeah. There's no timestamp that's readable anyway. No. 
The elevator door opens. Elisa wearing a red hoodie, green Alexander Keats t-shirt. Yeah, Alexander Keats is Nova Scotian beer. Beer. Pale yeah. ale. Poplar here in BC. Yeah. And it was my brand back in my drinking days. Wow. She was wearing knee-length black shorts and open-toed sandals. She glides in, and in one oddly flowing moment, she bends over and pushes all the buttons on one side of the control panel of the elevator. Mm-hmm. She stands up, backs into a corner of the elevator furthest from the door, and stands there looking straight ahead for just a few moments. Then she steps cautiously to the door, quickly steps a single foot out to the elevator, looking both ways very quickly, as though she's playing a game of hide-and-seek. Yeah. She steps back inside, puts herself flat against the left wall, and then into the corner near the control panel, as if she's hiding from someone. Yep. She's in and out of the elevator multiple times, pushing buttons and waving her hands about it, as if gesturing at somebody in the hallway. Her hand movements don't seem quite right somehow. Yeah, no, I agree. She finally leaves the elevator and the door closes. The door opens twice and Elisa never comes back into the elevator. And the video ends on a closed door. Yep. It certainly is a video that it would be impossible to not scratch your head sure. while watching. Yeah, but I think people are reading a lot of things into it that aren't there. Well, and again, I can understand it. I mean, initially, I, I fell in that direction when hearing and seeing it of like, what on earth is mm-hmm. like, w- what is happening? But that's without knowing any context to who she is. Yeah. Even though millions watched the video of Elisa in the elevator, there were still no new leads, just more questions and armchair detectives who'd uh, watched an episode or two or CSI weighing in with wacky speculative theories. Yep. Just like us. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. Uh-huh. Some people claim that she was playing hide-and-seek with an actual person who later abducted her. Okay. Other cuckoo birds said she was interacting with the, one of the hotel's, quote, ghosts. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people went. And again, I get it. We want these things to be real. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, sure. Some thought she may have been on MDMA or another party drug, even PCP or something else. Yep. I've seen that kind of behavior from somebody on psychedelics. (laughs) So I see how uh, people could jump to that conclusion for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, and I've certainly had enough trips down uh, Hastings and Maine to see people. They're not functioning normally. Right. There were also people who thought that what they saw was somebody having a psychotic break. Absolutely. And I think some of the people on Hastings Street are also that. Oh, you're not there because life is great. Yeah. There's a lot of mental illness and I have nothing but empathy for For sure. On the morning of February 19th. 2013, hotel guests called the front desk complaining of low water pressure. (laughs) Others said that there was a weird smell coming from the water. Oh, God. There was barely enough pressure to shower. Mm. A maintenance worker attended and went to the roof where there are four 1,000-gallon water tanks, and they serve the 600 rooms of the 19-floor structure. 600 rooms, eh? Yeah. I didn't realize that was that big. Yeah, it's huge. He was shocked by what he saw. In one of the tanks that was three-quarter filled with water floated the naked body of a woman with black hair. Her clothes were floating in the tank nearby. The body showed signs of moderate decomposition. It was assumed right away that the body was that of Elisa Lamb, and sadly, her identity was later confirmed. (sighs) Police did their initial investigation securing the scene, and the fire department spent the day draining the water from the tank and removing Elisa's body while the ghouls from L.A. News covered the efforts from their helicopters. Mm -hmm. Speculating the worst, of course. Yep. Here's audio from CBC Vancouver's coverage on the story that day. 
We begin tonight with a tragic end to a desperate three-week search. A 21-year-old Vancouver woman who disappeared while in Los Angeles has been found dead. Just a couple of hours ago, Los Angeles police confirmed that the body found on the roof of the Cecil Hotel was that of Elisa Lamb. Lamb was last seen at the hotel on January 31st. A worker found her body at the bottom of a sealed water tank this morning after a guest complained about low water pressure. Police initially searched the roof after Lamb disappeared, but not the water tanks, which are kept unlocked. Anybody could open it, but the roof is secured with an alarm and a lock and a key to the door access. Last week, LAPD released a surveillance video from the hotel elevator the night Lamb disappeared. Police say she was exhibiting strange behavior. Investigators confirmed she battled depression but could not comment on her mental state in the video. Police, ha police have said before that they suspected Lamb may have met with foul play. I guess if it bleeds, it leads. I'm going to sound a little bit like Donald Trump here. I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> the irresponsible media right away took early police comments out of context, saying there could have been foul play in Elisa's death. They weren't saying it that day. Mm -hmm. uh, this led to wild rumors and even more crazy analysis of the elevator video. There's a lot of bullshit out there about Elisa's death. Mm -hmm. Although the fire department and Department of Public Health told the press that Elisa's body posed no biohazard concerns due to the chlorine present in the city's water, people who had been staying at the Cecil were disgusted. Understandable. Sure. If you think that you had been drinking passed away person, that would not be pleasant. A biohazard or not, yeah, it's it, still not a pleasant thing to uh, realize you've been drinking uh, a decomposing body. Right. The thought they'd been washing and even drinking that water that had been shared by a corpse was too much to bear. Yeah, yeah. Some claimed that the water had tasted funny. Uh, most of the short-term guests checked out right away, as did some of the long-term residents. Some hung on, and the Cecil said that they were people were to use the water only for flushing until they cleaned out the tanks. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. The Cecil was later sued in a class action lawsuit by residents and short-term guests who had been using the water in the hotel while Elisa's body was in the tank. Hmm. I don't know how that lawsuit turned out. I couldn't find anything else about it, so it, it was probably it, dropped. Yeah, it, without knowing the details, it's not one that I could really see being successful. But I can also understand on the other side of it, if that were me, it could be kind of traumatizing and I might want to seek uh, something for that. So Yeah. An autopsy was performed on Elisa Lamb, and the results were released. She showed no signs of damage to her larynx. Her hyoid bone was intact, and there were no petechial hemorrhaging in her eyes. Those are the three things that they look for if someone had been strangled. Yeah, it's very, very important to, to recognize that none of that was there. She showed no signs of recent intercourse or sexual assault. Elisa's body showed no signs of assault or defensive wounds of any sort. Very important. Elisa had water in her lungs consistent with drowning, which was what matched her cause of death, accidental drowning. Yep. Other factors, mild bipolar disorder. Toxicology tests, of course, took a little longer to come back, and they were interesting not for what they contained, but what they didn't. Mm. Elisa had been prescribed a lot of drugs, psychiatric and otherwise, and these were found in her room. Now, I found an interesting article from Reddit by a user named Hammy Sammy. <laughs> why does everybody on Reddit have such a silly name? Because uh, why not? I guess so. Yeah, you'd want to remain anonymous there. Uh, 
He compared uh, Elise's prescriptions to the toxicology report and information he mentioned in his article checks out with the known facts. I compared the two mm-hmm. from Hammy Sammy's article. I can't believe I have to say that. Name. <laughs> Here's the list of drugs that Elisa had with her. And these were what was found in her room. So dexedrine, uh, just two 10 milligram capsules, a loose stimulant prescribed for ADHD and narcolepsy. Mm. Lamictal, an anticonvulsant and mood stabilizer prescribed for epilepsy and bipolar disorder. Mm. And we know that she was bipolar. Yeah. Seroquel, 25 milligram atypical antipsychotic prescribed for schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and major depressive disorder. Effects are 225 milligram SNRI antidepressant prescribed for major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and social phobia. And Welbutrin, an atypical antidepressant prescribed for depression and smoking cessation. Yeah, Effexor and Welbutrin are what I was on for quite a while. Yeah. There are also two over-the-counter medications on the list. There was Advil, ibuprofen, which Mm -hmm. is just a simple pain reliever, and Cyanotab, which is essentially Sudafed, a decongestant. Mm. Okay. Hammy Sammy's summary, after comparing the details in the toxicology report to the list of drugs, came out this way. And it's much simpler just to say it the way he said it rather than break it down into science. Elisa took at least one antidepressant that day. She had taken her second antidepressant and mood stabilizer recently, but not that day. Hmm. She had not taken her antipsychotic recently. Hmm. She had no alcohol or common illegal drugs in her system. She was not high. She did not have her Sudafed in the system either. Okay. In bipolar disorder, antidepressants without an antipsychotic can cause a manic episode and possibly lead to psychosis, which would explain Elisa's bizarre behavior in the elevator. Absolutely. From the British National Health Service, someone who develops psychosis will have their own unique set of symptoms and experiences according to their particular circumstances. She's alone. Mm -hmm. But in general, four main symptoms are associated with the psychotic episode. Hallucinations, Mm -hmm. delusions, confused and disturbed thoughts, lack of insight and self-awareness. Okay. Perhaps Elisa was in a full-blown psychosis that night. She appeared to be playing hide-and-seek and talking with somebody who wasn't there. This would also explain her weird movements. Yep. Yeah, with, without a doubt. I mean, that, as we've both talked about uh, before recording, on the outside of it, when you first see it, it seems very bizarre and supernatural. When you actually do your due diligence and look into it and get the facts, yeah. it looks like a sad psychotic break. That's what I believe it was. So do I. How did Elisa get to the roof of the Cecil? So there was a lot of fuss made about this locked door that was locked and alarmed and the alarm hadn't been set off and the lock wasn't tampered with in any way. Yep. Well, guess what? The alarm was off and door unlocked? No, there were more accesses to the roof. Oh. And there were the fire escapes. So the fire escapes, which were easily accessible from rooms. Yeah, well, I think if I remember correctly, there was one like pretty much right outside where the uh, locked door was. Yeah. Yeah. So... (laughs) And they access the roof. Yeah. (laughs) You're somebody who is in the midst of a psychotic break. You're playing hide and seek from a a mysterious unseen stranger. Yep. Hey, that looks like a great escape route. Yep. 
I'll go that way. You probably just have to pop your head out the window and see the stairs and ladder. The accesses to the roof are unmarked, but I don't think that makes a difference. If you can see it, then why not use it? You probably see it from outside if you're like just walking by. Absolutely. And again, peek your head out there and look up and go, oh, there's stairs and a ladder leading up. There are also a couple of ways to access the tanks, and that's been a lot of the conversation in some other things that I've seen and read. Yep. Those tanks are 10 feet tall. Yep. If you think, she's 5'4". Yep. So she's shorter than I am. Yep. But if you notice, on those tanks, there's a little ladder that leads up to the tank. This is mentioned in the statement of facts about this uh, hotel later being sued. Okay, okay. So there were actual ladders... You just need to climb onto the plumbing and you access the ladder and climb up on top. So not as... Uh, not as difficult. Crazy and uh, supernatural as people. That's right. Okay. Or you could climb up on top of the elevator machine house yep. and jump down onto them. Yeah. And it's not that much of a leap. It's like two feet. Yep. Okay. Also, the tops of these were not heavy, as other people have reported. That has been misreported over and over and over again. Yeah, it's all all you hear in a lot of these stories. How did she lift that? Somebody her size wouldn't be able to lift it. It's untrue. Vacuum seat. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely untrue. Yeah. I looked at the symptoms for psychosis again. Yeah. And I thought sort of one of the most interesting and ominous ones was the lack of insight and self-awareness. Yeah. In this case where she's completely alone. Yeah. She has no one to guide her. Yeah. At all. And maybe this is what drove her to go and do the things that she did. She just was doing what her brain was telling her to do at the time. Well, if you if you put somebody in a manic, manic state, and I've seen a fair amount of people in a heightened state of mania, if you put somebody in that state and then they're also having a psychotic break, that is a a recipe for, for disaster. If psychotic, Elisa would not have been able to understand that going into the tank was a bad idea or dangerous. Well, and that's where the mania comes in because you think you've got it all figured out. Oh, I, I've solved all of the world's problems. And so you think like, okay, this will work out perfect. I'll go in here and like, yeah, it's just tragic. It's easy to want to explain Elisa's behavior that night in the elevator as more sinister, but only she would be able to definitively answer what was going on inside her yeah. to a perform that way. Yeah. I would bet she would even struggle to explain what went on. And here's why I think that. Oh, do tell. A little more from my own story here. I am actually somebody who has uh, suffered a psychotic episode. I can concur that in that state, you really don't understand what's happening, nor are you able to make solid decisions, even about walking across the street. Yep. My episode is very blurry. It's like a slideshow of weird moments that ended with me being committed to a psychiatric ward for a number of weeks. And this was before the antipsychotics started to work. Mm. I'm not going to get into why I was in that state, but let's just say it was self-induced. My brain was filled with weird ideas of superhuman and supernatural abilities, as well as thoughts of demonic possession and evil in others. Mm. And this is much like Matthew DeGrood from our Calgary Brentwood 5 episode. Which is a great comparison. Yeah. When I was reading about him, I thought, holy shit. Yeah. I have been in that state. I just did not kill people. I am very, very glad that that did not happen. So were we. My first five days in the hospital are a blur and mostly just a black void. They're just gone. Yeah. I'm grateful every day that I didn't hurt anyone else or myself while in that state. Although I do recall dark and horrible thoughts about myself and others. 
And it's why I reached out for help. I was afraid that something bad was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness. Yeah. Most people don't have the awareness in that state to call and seek help. No. And I don't know where mine came from. But it came. <laughs> yeah. It just did. Yep. I believe that Elisa died by accident, but not because she intentionally did something stupid, but because she couldn't conceptualize what was right to do while in her psychosis. 100% agree. It's always been my feeling. People choose the most minute detail and bang away at it, hoping to uncover a link to a killer or something that's more sinister or evil. Yeah, I think one of the reasons why people do that is because... Um, it's easier to rationalize in our brains that somebody did this to somebody as opposed to, oh, the human mind can snap because then that means we have to analyze ourselves and Correct. our actions. And so people immediately tend to go to uh, being able to externalize. Somebody did this to somebody. Yeah. And so even though many have reported otherwise, I think Occam's razor, the law of parsimony plays here. The simplest solution is the most likely and the right one. Absolutely. I believe what we are really seeing on that overanalyzed video is a young woman in crisis. It's too bad that no one caught on before she met her unfortunate end. Yeah. The Cecil was also sued for negligence by Elisa's parents, alleging that the hotel should have locked the tanks. That was an accident waiting to happen, they said. In this, I can understand a lot more than the other lawsuit. You know, having easy access to the roof as well, like they they didn't take the required precautions to, to secure that. Well, the, the judge didn't feel that that was the case and threw it out. Well, I'm yeah, I'm not saying that I would find, the, I, I'm just saying I can understand sure. where the family's coming from. Yeah. I have questions too. How long was Elisa in the tank before she drowned? Was she afraid or was yeah. she at peace when she died? I kind of hope that she was having a peaceful moment. Sadly, I, I don't think it was because it, depending on how long she was in there, the medications will end up wearing off that she's on yeah. and panic and everything will set in. Well, she was in a bad way to begin with. I don't know. I like to think that she maybe just drifted off. Oh, I hope to hell that's the case. I suspect it's not, but uh, uh, this is all just so tragic and sad. Yeah. A few years ago, Scott and I were at the local Surrey Fusion Festival, and that's a multicultural celebration that's here every year. Yeah. We photographed one of the bands playing that day called The Zolas. Yeah. Remember that? I love them. I was listening to them yesterday. I was really proud of my photos of the lead singer. Uh, you can still see them on my Flickr account. Absolutely. One of the songs they played that day was the title song from their album, Ancient Mars. And I love this song. It, I loved it then. It, it is literally a fantastic and incredible song. If you're out there, uh, it, I don't know how much play it got outside of Canada, but go give it a listen. It's the, a great song. Ancient the Mars. The Zolas. Z-O-L-A-S. Zolas. And Ancient Mars is the song. That's right. This song was released in 2012. Mm -hmm. However, the video for it wasn't made until 2013 after Elisa's death. Hmm. The video for Ancient Mars was inspired by the Elisa Lamb case. I didn't know that. Zach Gray, who's the lead singer for the band, was touched by the story and felt, as we do, that Elisa's humanity had been left out of much of the speculation around her death. Hmm. The lead singer, Zach Gray, told Huffington Post in an email, It's not easy to write her off as just another missing girl who got herself in trouble. It bugged me how tidily people explained away her disappearance with drugs or mental illness. Though it's mostly fiction, we want people to see it and feel like she was a real girl and a familiar girl and not just a police report. 
wow, you know, I had no idea that that song was uh, based off of this. Well, the video for the okay. song. Okay, yeah, that this video, yeah, I, I don't really remember the video, but, uh, huh, yes. wow. Yeah. Well, I love the band, and now you do even more. Hearing Zach uh, approach towards the video, like even even more respect. Yeah, for sure. In it, you can see this girl is traveling around Los Angeles. Yeah, all by herself, just going to different places and just having a great time. And this is how I sort of picture her last days. Yeah, there's water in the video as well, which is kind of ties back Symbolic, to, yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah. But also, they, they really do go to the Cecil. Do they really? Yeah, in the video. Huh. Yeah. You'll have to watch it. Check I, it I've out. I've got it. I mean, I'll probably start watching and go, oh, yes, I remember this. But uh, as soon as this is done, I'm watching it. I closed the show this week with Ancient Mars, but I have zero interest in having this shit suit out of me. So I don't think the band would do it. I considered emailing Zach Gray and the band just to see if we could use it, but... It's such a short turnaround time uh, from the time I actually wrote this until we're talking about it. Yeah. So I didn't want to take the chance to just throw it in there. <laughs> but it is it is worth going to I'll check post out. it. I'll post it in the show notes. Yeah, do that. Yeah, such a great song. I wanted to talk about her parents a little bit. Mm. I remember Carol and I were driving past her parents' restaurant. Yeah. And there were flowers and stuff at the doors. The restaurant was closed. Oh. And and I remember knowing that that's where her parents' restaurant was. And yeah. We kind of mentioned it as we drove by. Oh, how heartbreaking. Yeah, very sad. Yeah. You could, people left them flowers and notes and all that kind of thing at the, at the closed doors of their restaurant. I'm hoping that the family is doing okay because that, that's like... Uh, losing losing a child is horrific. It, it's I I can't imagine anything worse. And um, still trying to function and operate a business has got to be such a challenge. So I I hope they're doing well. I hope they're doing uh, okay. And I want to finish Elisa's story with something that she didn't write, but she quoted in a blog post. Mm. And this was on Remembrance Day in 2010, and the post was titled "Quotation Marks." And it's from Jane Fitch's book, White Oleander. Hmm. Loneliness is the human condition. Cultivate it. The way it tunnels into you allows your soul room to grow. Never expect to outgrow loneliness. Never hope to find people who will understand you. Someone to fill that space. An intelligent, sensitive person is the exception. The very great exception. If you expect to find people who will understand you, you will grow murderous with disappointment. The best you'll ever do is understand yourself. Know what it is that you want and not let the cattle stand in your way. Oh, wow. Wow. Pretty deep. Yeah, absolutely. Great yeah. way to end this. So thank you, Elisa, for your story, albeit a tragic one. Yeah. Yeah. Very tragic. So thank you to our new Patreon patrons. There's a lot of peas. There's a lot of peas. Melissa Belair from Langley, British Columbia, just up the street. Oh, God, it's so difficult to not make a Fresh Prince reference, but I'm sure she's sick of that. But welcome, Melissa. Uh, Jennifer Lacroix. Oh, hi, Jennifer. Yeah, she's uh, in the Umber Yard there. Yes, okay. Yes, I know the name. She's from Moncton, Nouveau-Brunswick. Oh. Yeah. Man, I love that place. Yeah. I like New Brunswick a lot. Lisa Lewenbauer. Hey, Lisa. Welcome. And Ostrich uh, looks like Austria. Why don't you pronounce the, the actual... Uh, Österreich. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to mention where she, the street she lives on. That like would be it, wrong. Is that the street? 
Yes. Oh, okay. That is the street. Okay. And you don't want me to say that. I can, I can pronounce it, but whatever. <laughs> Be that way. Good. Thank you, Lisa Lewenbauer. Absolutely. Thank you. I always love to see that somebody who is not, or maybe is, maybe she's married to somebody from Austria. I'm making a stupid assumption. Forgive oh, me. Oh, geez. Classic Mike. Yeah. She may not be a native German speaker. She just may want to hear some good old Canadian voices. That's right. But it would help if I had just done a Canadian accent right there. I don't uh, know what that was. It was kind of Southern. Which is really no relevance to Canada. No, eh? So my name is Mike from Canmore. There we go. See, that's when when us Canadians think about our accent. We think it's something. But yeah, I don't think I have an accent, but yet everybody from outside of Canada is always, oh, no, you sound Canadian. No do to boot it. (laughs) Yeah. That's when I have to think about. Okay. I'm good with it now. Shannon Nishioka. Oh, I think you did that well on that. I think I did. Welcome, and Shannon. she's from Meriden, Connecticut. 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 Oh, that's an interesting pronunciation. I think fancy people live in Connecticut. I always think about the fancy. Doesn't, uh, like, Martha Stewart live in Connecticut? I'm going to say sure. Sure. And we have a lot of listeners from Texas, and this one is we from do. Murphy, Texas, and her name is... Kelly Watkins. Hi, Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Thank you for having a name that is easy to pronounce. <laughs> Unless she pronounces it Kelly Watkins. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure she doesn't. Or the W is like a V. Kelly Watkins? Yeah. <laughs> no, nope. pretty sure. Was ist los? Mike, why are you trying to make even the simple names difficult? <laughs> Just accept them. It's because my brain works that way. <laughs> oh, your brain works. <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> Clearly, we've described in this episode that I have had <laughs> issues with my brain before. You know, a lot a lot about you makes more sense now. Uh, right? right? Yeah. I do bring some color to things. Mm-hmm. I have a really shitty short-term memory. Oh, I am on board with that. I, I, I yeah. seriously have a very, very bad short-term memory. I will have a conversation and then forget that I've had that conversation completely. It's a big topic of conversation between me and my psychiatrist now, whether it's med related or what, but yeah, no, my memories. It's because you're a fruit back. Well, that plays a role for sure. Because you're fruity in the pumpkin, just like me. <laughs> fruity in the pumpkin. I we're, like that. We're fruity in the pumpkin. I like that. Thank you all so much for your pledges. Oh, we really appreciate it. Love it. Thank you. If you want to donate to us, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or send us some donut money via PayPal at our email, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. And come join the Yumber Yard. We are getting busy in there. <laughs> it's just that I love how busy it's getting and how amazing it still is. People post every day. I try to post every day, personally. It's, uh, you know, it's become very challenging, I'm finding, just simply due to the fact, like, got a lot going on with family and everything. But, like, I wake up every morning and there's, like, 40 <laughs> notifications on my phone. And so, like, it's, I I do my damnedest to kind of click on them all. But I find it best if it, when, when people tag me. Yeah. That, that, uh, that's why I do that. Yeah. That really, that's what really pulls me in quicker. So if there's ever anything people like you really want me to see yeah. or hear something, tag me. It, it gets I'm, my attention. Now I'm I'll the get same 40 way. tags a day. But. I'm the same way. I, yeah. if someone tags me, I'm more apt to, to see it. It's getting so busy now. I can't 
keep up. And, and I'm the admin and Scott's the moderator. So. Yeah, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So so keep it going. But just don't, don't ever take offense if we're not uh, commenting on something. It's just, it's it's so much. And I love it. We love your love. We and do. we love how you love each other too, which is really kind of cool. We, it's just, a, I could not have predicted an internet group. Being so kind. Being so amazing. Yeah. For a sustained amount of time. And I'm telling you, if you're listening and you're a douche canoe, or if you're listening and you are not a nice person and a bad apple and you come into the umber yard and you're a dink, <laughs> I'm going to kick you out. Yep. Bye-bye. Yep. And I mean, we're allowed to have uh, passionate discussions and stuff. There's a difference between... Um, abusive discussions are not welcome. Exactly. So there, there's a difference between spirit and, and passion and being a dillweed. If you're a dillweed, you can GTFO. That's right. And I will ensure that the door doesn't hit you in the ass on the Abs way out. Absolutely. And there's no real door, though. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, you can do so on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. That's it for this week. Holy moly. Yeah. This is a sad, sad case. This was a very sad case, but you know what? I feel like we handled it in a way that we can be proud of. I feel like we handled it in the way that I want it handled. Yeah, me too. Not salacious, not uh, going the easy route, which is trying to uh, sensationalize it. It's, it's, it's a poor girl. I want to be thoughtful in the way we approach these things. For sure. She was somebody who did not survive a situation... Perhaps she could have had somebody been there with her. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just tragic all around this case. With that, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.